We want to take a moment to let you know about something new from Bloomberg. Starting right now, you can use our iOS app or our new Google Chrome extension to scan any news story on any website, instantly revealing relevant news and market data from Bloomberg and other sources. So no matter where you're reading the news, you can bring the power of Bloomberg to you. It's pretty amazing. Download our iOS app or search for the Bloomberg extension on the Chrome store to try it. Learn more at Bloomberg.com backslash lens. That's the sound of Sydney's Bondi Beach on an average weekend. Bronzed surfers, men and women of all ages, races, creeds, pounding into the waves, or just walking into them, or just sunbathing. The air's thick with the scent of coconut oil, hot dogs, paddle pops, and beer. Why are we visiting one of Australia's most iconic tourist attractions and one that suffers from the most mispronunciation? Well, if you listen to Benchmark, you know it's about economics. A plethora of surfers, turns out, is actually a pretty good leading indicator of economic growth. Welcome to Benchmark. I'm Daniel Moss, Executive Editor for Global Economics in New York. We're joined today by Bloomberg's Mike Heath, who returned home to Sydney to cover the economy in 2007 after spending the better part of a decade in Moscow, of all places. Mike, before we dive into the economics of surfing, answer me this question. Just how much did you miss Australia and the great leveller, the beach scene? Sure, Dan. Um, I mean, it was initially irrelevant to me because Moscow, as you can imagine, was so exciting and different, and I just jumped into it. Um, But after five years, I had to come back to Australia as my mum was having an operation, and I did spend some time at the beach then. And I think it, it, it... put out a kernel of a thought in my mind. And when I returned to Moscow, the thought of the sand and the sun and the surf, it developed into almost a longing. And then a year after my daughter was born, I decided that for all the history and culture Russia offered, I just couldn't deny her a childhood in Australia. And exactly as you say, the Australian beach, the great leveller. And none of us have ever looked back. So you, how old is she now? 11. And you're taking her to surf lessons every weekend? Oh, no, she's past lessons now. Um, we had a couple in the Southern Hemisphere summer uh, up in Byron Bay, um, but she's a very good gymnast, my daughter, and so she was standing almost immediately. She's got terrific balance. So now I'm just trying to teach her to better position herself to catch a wave. So she's almost got the cart before the horse kind of thing. Um, but she goes out by herself. We go down every weekend, and she's this tiny little speck among big rollers. Two weeks ago, she was caught in a rip, and the, uh, the lifeguard asked me if I wanted him to rescue her, and I held him back. And she got out of it herself, exhausted, because uh, I really wanted her to learn some respect for the power of the ocean. So I think, you know, for a child especially, it's, it's something central to your, to your existence in Australia. So let's get into this economic study. You know, the study of breaks is the latest piece of research that functions as an unconventional but surprisingly accurate guide to growth. Others include online advertising, Google searches, and even Alibaba sales. And now surfing has arrived. Well, um, I'll let our our guest in London, Dr. Sam Wills, uh, do the details, but just a brief overview of his research. It's incredibly logical when you think about it. 
Surfers are basically the explorers hunting the next grave wave to, to conquer. And once they find their mecca, their ocean mecca, there's a pretty good chance that the area is going to appeal to a lot of other people too. And so the infrastructure tends to emerge. Byron Bay in Australia, uh, as Sam mentions in his research, is a terrific example of that. Um, it's become enormous these days. So, Sam, come on down. Hi, guys. Thanks, uh, thanks very much for having me. Sam, um, what is your model, if you could explain it, and how did you come by it? So the idea of the, the paper is that we're interested in trying to figure out uh, whether or not the natural environment really affects growth. So we know that some things are important. We know that having a river uh, or having a port, having a mountain range, all these things affect the economy. But what about just living in a nice place? Uh, obviously, this is, uh, you know, we think that it might be important, but it's, it's really hard to, to get at. Uh, and the reason why it's difficult is, first of all, it's tough to measure how nice a place is to live. And the second reason is uh, it's really hard to sort of isolate that niceness rather than uh, other channels. And so to get at this question, uh, I, a, a colleague of mine uh, and I decided to use surf breaks. Uh, the reason for that is that these surf breaks uh, are basically uh, randomly distributed all over the world. And we can use that randomness to really isolate the effect of what a, what a good surf break is on the economy. Uh, and so that's what we've done in the study. So the idea for the study uh, actually came just after I finished my PhD. I was uh, holed up in a, a cold, uh, miserable library in Oxford uh, for, for, for over a, uh, a year writing up the thesis. And when I'd finished, uh, I thought I'd jump on a plane and go somewhere sunny. And really, I was looking for somewhere out of the way uh, where I could get a bit of time away and get a few waves. And I ended up down in Morocco, a little place called Tagazoo. Uh, but I arrived there, and the place was absolutely overrun. There were surf shops everywhere. Uh, even, even the mosque uh, was selling, you know, surf wax and, uh, you know, old wetsuits and that sort of thing from, uh, from out the front. So uh, it got me thinking, you know, maybe there's something to this, this surfing story. Uh, and that's when we sort of turn to the data uh, to see if, in fact, it holds true around the world. You've just mentioned Morocco. Now, your research also encompasses Indonesia and South Africa. But these countries aren't going to win prizes for economic management. How do you reconcile your model with the decidedly spotty record of these countries? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're not, uh, we know that, you know, surf breaks probably... <laughs> is not the be-all and end-all for growth. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to institutions, as we know. But within a country, holding everything else equal, uh, places with good surf breaks will tend to grow faster than places without. Uh, and we've tested this in a few ways. One, we just looked at uh, places with good waves versus places with bad waves. And we measured how much economic activity there was using satellites. Now, these satellites measure how much light there is at night time, and it turns out that's quite a good proxy for growth. Uh, and so by doing that, we're able to show that these places with good waves do tend to grow faster. Um, some other fun stuff that we did was uh, looking what happened during El Nino years, when, uh, when, when the waves in certain parts of the world actually get really good. And we found that, that growth really exploded during those years in places with good waves. Uh, and then a, another piece of uh, a fun little experiment we ran was what happens when a wave is discovered. So back in 2008, uh, Surfer Magazine ran a competition called the Google Earth Challenge. And basically the idea was, you know, a bunch of kids sitting behind uh, their computers, traipsing through Google Earth, trying to find a wave that had never been surfed before. 
Uh, and the winner was this fantastic wave in Namibia uh, off the coast of the desert. Uh, and this wave just went for, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of metres. Uh, it was basically perfection. And so we found that after this wave was discovered and after the global surfing community got wind of it, the light around this wave really exploded, which kind of adds more weight to our, uh, our, our hypothesis. And the satellites prove that? Yeah, exactly. And what's the name of this beach in Namibia? So it's a break called Skeleton Bay. Uh, and, yes, yeah, it's, it's worth a Google because this thing is just me- mechanically perfect. Uh, waves just breaking one after another. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. It's one and a half kilometres long as well, I think, from, from memory, Sam. Yeah, exactly right. Over, a, you know, one and a half kilometres long, uh, people are sort of, <laughs> when they surf there, by all reports, they're, they're pulling off waves because they get too tired, which, uh, you know... Sam, tell us personally what you like about surfing and, and what it has to do with the economy, because in the popular mind, economics is all about charts and statistics and acronyms like GDP. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, surfing, surfing is good for this sort of study because it really holds, like, a lot of sway over people's imagination. Uh, you know, once, once you started surfing, it's, it, it puts you in very close contact with nature. It's very uh, meditative, in a sense, uh, and it becomes addictive as well. And so for all these reasons, as we know, surfers are willing to go out of their way to find, find waves. Not only that, obviously surfing waves are a bit of a limited resource, and so that, that adds to the, um, I guess, the exploration that, that goes on with uh, surfers trying to find waves. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that we're picking up in the study. Uh, sort of things like you know, people travelling uh, far and wide to, to find new breaks, and when they find them, uh, people willing to sort of settle down and, and you know, work for less money than they could earn otherwise because they get the, the benefit of surfing these great waves. Sam, I understand a sovereign wealth fund has bought your argument. Talk to us about that. <laughs> yeah, this, is, uh, this was remarkable, actually. So uh, most of my research is actually on uh, sovereign wealth funds and, and natural resources. Uh, and I was at a conference uh, on something completely unrelated to this surfing stuff and found myself having a conversation with the head of the Moroccan Sovereign Wealth Fund. And when I mentioned this surfing paper, he just his eyes lit up immediately because... They have just pumped quite a lot of money into Tagazoo, the very place where I had the idea for the paper. Uh, and the reason, of course, is that um, you know, for the past uh, you know, 20 or 30 years, surfers have been rocking up to this amazing break in Morocco called Anchor Point uh, to, to surf it. Uh, and you know, over time, in, a tourist infrastructure has popped up to, to service these surfers. Uh, and now it's, it's a bit of a spot on the, on the tourist trail for people who aren't interested in surfing at all. And so uh, the Moroccan Sovereign Wealth Fund has decided to, to build a big resort, you know, with conference facilities and, and, and golf, uh, a golf course and all this other sort of stuff uh, to make, make use of that, which, uh, you know, I guess for the, the purists, uh, they'd say that it's uh, the place, the town is losing something in the process. So if you worked for a hedge fund, you'd be now on the hunt for the next Tagazoot. Tagazoot is, is done now. You need to find the next big, big thing, right? Or the next new thing. That's the idea, yeah. So, um, so Sam, this, sort of, uh, this turns our traditional model on its head there, yeah? It's not about ag- agriculture, mechanised farming, industrial revolution, etc. It's just about waves. <laughs> yeah, that's what it all comes down to. <laughs> <laughs> 
And let's talk a bit about technology. You mentioned satellites, but you know we're becoming um, increasingly aware of technology's role in surfing, like battery-powered wetsuits, for example. How transformative is that? It's a good point. So, obviously, you know, surfing, uh, like all industries, is being affected by technological process, uh, progress. Um, in the manufacture of surfboards is, uh, has gone from a cottage industry where everything was shaped by hand to um, being sort of mass-produced from, uh, you know, centralised CAD drawings and that sort of thing. So, you know, surfing has certainly been affected by technological progress. Uh, on the topic of battery-heated wetsuits, uh, this was actually a technology that we studied. So we were interested in what happened when Rip Curl released uh, a battery-heated wetsuit back in 2007. Uh, and basically, this just meant that surfers could surf in really cold water for longer and made it much more comfortable. So from our data set, we looked at all the waves that were above 55 degrees latitude, so these really cold water waves. And we found that after the, the wetsuit was invented in 2007, uh, growth in these cold water places really, really exploded relative to everywhere else. So it was interesting to see that this little technological uh, innovation has had actually quite a big impact on the local economies of these places. What's the coldest place you've surfed? The coldest place... So I was actually in Cape Town uh, in, in December, uh, and I tell you what, the water's pretty cold, pretty cold down there. <laughs> That's the middle of summer. It was the middle of summer, but my word, it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty chilly. What you were saying about the patterns of the waves struck me as curious. You know, we've read about hedge fund stars who have an education in classical music and jazz. I mean, have studied it formally. And what they say it gives them is a sense of rhythms and what's the next key to come next. Is there something like this going on with the waves? Yeah, I, I guess there could be something similar there. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's a, it's a very meditative sport. Uh, and I think, you know, in a, in a field like um, academic research, it's always helpful to have, you know, somewhere you can, um, something you can resort to to, to clear your head and, and just mull over problems and sitting at the back of uh, a surf break is is really helpful for that mm. it's interesting sam i was um there was a great program on on tv here you might have seen it or you might have been away when it came out but it was tom carroll and a big wave surfing mate of his basically looking for for new waves around australia to surf and they ended up going up out to this place that was was on a map a reef i think it was on a map and it was four hours by boat i think it was southwest of, of perth so they're out there in the middle of the ocean, just wondering what the heck they're doing. And uh, and out of nowhere, there emerges these these waves, which they uh, they get on via boats or whatever. I mean, it seems at some point every wave will be conquered, or is that impossible? Well, no, you, you're exactly right. Like I guess there's just a finite uh, number of waves out there, uh, and so eventually, you know, you especially with countries like Indonesia and Brazil uh, developing, you know, these are countries with a big population and a lot of coastline. You think the, the population of surfers in the world is really going to explode in the future. Uh, and I guess that's uh, interesting because people are now turning to, to alternatives. So we know that Kelly Slater, the um, many-time world champion of surfing, is, has brought out a new inland wave pool, uh, which might be a substitute for you know, the, the real deal. Uh, and also, we know that uh, coastal engineers are working hard on figuring out ways to 
to create waves in the ocean uh, where, where waves weren't there before. So, you know, creating artificial uh, rock reefs and that sort of thing off, off the coast so that when the swells uh, hit them, uh, they, they make waves that are surfable. Right. So just to undermine my own point, though, but presumably there'd be erosion and stuff, so a break could disappear or reappear or appear, you know, out of nothing as well, presumably. Yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, we, we, we found a couple of cases of that. Uh, so one famous case was uh, a break in Spain called Bundaka, uh, and this was a, uh, a really famous break. It was on the, the Surfing World Tour at a river mouth, and uh, at one point they decided to dredge the river mouth because they thought it would be good for the local economy, you know, getting more fishing boats in and out. What actually turned out to have happened, as we found uh, by, by looking at the satellite data, was economic growth in, the, in, in that little village actually stalled and fell uh, because they ignored the fact uh, that this, this surf break was bringing huge numbers of tourists to the town every year. And so, yeah, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, maybe all these, these surfers, uh, you know, who come out uh, to defend their waves when rock walls are built and, and ports, are, ports are proposed, they might be onto something because protecting these waves can actually, you know, have a big impact on, on people's jobs and their livelihoods. Sam, where did you grow up in Australia? Were you near the beach? Yeah, I did. A uh, beautiful little part of the world uh, called Hawksnest, a few hours north of Sydney. Uh, so I guess, yeah, I've been mulling on the topic for a while. Now, our head of podcasts, Alec McCabe, is through the glass window here in the studio in New York. He's just finished reading Barbarian Days. And the most important question is, what is your secret spot? Knowing full well, it may no longer be secret after you answer. <laughs> well, I tell you what, the great thing about this, uh, this study is we've got a database of about 5,000 waves from uh, all over the world. Uh, and we've also got a bit of an idea about how crowded each of those waves are. So, yeah, sitting on my computer is, uh, is, is some pretty useful information and, and, in a sense, a bit of a, um, a checklist for places I'd like to visit in the future. But I guess it would be cheating if I gave it away on the radio today. <laughs> so if your home is burgled, don't go looking for Alec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sam, it's been a real treat to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks very much, Sam. Thanks very much for having me, guys. So, Dan, talking with Sam after that, um, do you miss your, your old home in Bondi? And where were you in Bondi? And did you surf? Okay. So I did not live on the beach. I lived up uh, closer toward the uh, Bondi Junction train station. Uh, but there's no question uh, it was Bondi, Bondi postcode. I lived there for six months uh, in 1996. Prior to that, I was living in Wallara, which is just you know a hop, skip, and a jump from there, mm -hmm. uh, before uh, moving to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and I've ultimately ended up here in New York. Um, I am still an Australian citizen, though I am a naturalised American as well. And Mike, just this conversation, it did make me pine. It made me seriously pine. <laughs> it does that to you, doesn't it? It really, really does. Uh, when I came back to Australia from Russia, I was determined to make my wife like Australia. And I found this great little flat at the bottom. It's like a second story on a person's um, masonette. 
and it was just on Delview Avenue, which just drops down to Tamarama. And when my wife got there, she was like, oh, my goodness, it's like living at a resort. Now, parking obviously is not like a resort because it's just jam-packed in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. But what a little spot for six, a six-month introduction to Sydney. What a spot to be. So I did not actually surf on a board. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up in Canberra, uh, which for listeners oh. unfamiliar with the geography of Australia, it's um, about three or four hours inland from the coast, uh, depending on how you define it. I did body surf uh, at Bondi uh, when I lived there. And, you know, as Peter Garrett has said, body surfing is one of the great communal things you can do with nature. It is. It is indeed. Um, I guess the only thing you'd say about surfing is you just go that bit faster. But it is. I think I think there is really something... Um, Something where you do feel at one with the, with the environment when you are on a on a wave and when you feel that power and 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 the speed that it sends you on and you get that from body surfing as well. So um, it's a terrific terrific sport. Recommend it to everybody. My son lived in North Carolina for a couple of years, and if folks are familiar with uh, the shoreline on the east coast of the United States, there's some pretty great beaches down there. Mm-hmm. Wrightsville Beach uh, being one, and. Ultimately, he was spending too much time surfing. I had to do something about it. (laughs) Mike, you'll have to join this podcast again. I'd love to. I'd love to. It's been a real pleasure to be on here. Thank you very much for having me. Benchmark will be back next week. And until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, our Bloomberg app, as well as iTunes, Pocket Cast and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Moss underscore Eco. Our guest at at Sam E. Wills. One word. And Mike? At M.A. Heath one. Benchmark is produced by Sarah Patterson. The head of Bloomberg podcast is Alec McCabe. That's the avid reader I referred to. Thanks for listening. See you next time.